We'll continue with our series through the epistle to the Ephesians. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And read the chapter, thereafter we shall consider verse 26 and 27. Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body 
Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you may open the eyes of our hearts this morning as your word is expounded. We know that we cannot understand it by our natural self. We pray that the Spirit of God may illumine us and that he may guide our thoughts into all your truth. We pray that uh, you may remove the, any veil, any veil that might hinder our understanding of your word this morning, be it disappointments or frustrations or fatigue or distractions around us. We pray that you may remove the veil, Lord, and enable us to see the wonderful truths in your word. Help me as well to be faithful to your word, for I know, Lord, that uh, I will give a testimony one day, that one day I will stand before you, that every word that uh, I spoke, um, uh, it will be, uh, it will be measured, and help me to be faithful, to be a servant uh, who needs not to be ashamed uh, to speak your word. Help my hearers as well, that they may be faithful, faithful in their hearing, and that they may seek to submit their lives to these truths. Grant us much grace, Lord, for we pray in Christ's name. Woven in the Hebrew tradition and the revelation of scripture is a marital imagery between God and his people. This imagery is repeated throughout the Old Testament. It portrays God as the one who loves his people in terms of marriage. In Isaiah 54 verse 5, it says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. We find the same language, the same aspect of this imagery in the New Testament and in the Old Testament that it anticipates marriage between God and his people. It is on this basis that the marriage relationship between a man and a woman is grounded. Jesus uses this illustration as well. In, in, in Mark chapter 2, verse 19, he says, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Jesus compares himself this picture of a bridegroom, this picture of a husband. And the people are described in the New Testament as being virgins, having their lamps trimmed, waiting for the coming of the bridegroom in the parable of the ten virgins. The book of Revelation speaks of the culmination of all things as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we as the church of Jesus Christ are referred as the bride, awaiting the bridegroom. The New Testament reveals to us that the husband is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we continue this series, what has been called the Christian Household Table, a series of common 
um, principles relating to authority and submission in society. A majority of this section is devoted to husbands and wives. The relationship between the husband and the wife, we see very clearly here that the roles cannot be altered by anyone because these roles are rooted in creation. These roles are modeled after the relationship between Christ and the church. And therefore, marriage is a metaphor here in which God is saying something between the church and Christ. In verse, 20, in verse 22 to, um, in, from verse 22 to 24, we saw that uh, it addresses the wives. In verse 25 to verse 33, it addresses the husbands. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1 to 4, it addresses the children. In chapter 6, verse 5 to 9, it addresses employers and employees. And wives are called to find a distinct role, a role that images Christ's relationship with the church. The husband as well is called to find his distinct role, a role that images the way Christ relates to the church. And the husband is called, in verse 25, to love to love his wife. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We've looked at that and we saw that uh, the, the, the origin of biblical headship is based on creation, isn't it? That the role the husband has, the role the wife has was established before the fall. When sin entered the world, there was conflict in marriage. The harmonious joyful submission of Eve was distorted. And the loving, kind, gentle leadership of Adam was also distorted into a hostile domination or a lazy indifference. And so the headship of man was not created by sin. The submission of the wife is not because of sin. Rather, it has been made violent by sin. We see Jesus Christ in redemption coming not to destroy God's creation, created order um, from the beginning, rather to restore what uh, was originally uh, uh, what was originally created. And so Jesus Christ comes to recover us from the rule of sin. And wives are called to submit, to model that submission around the relationship that is there between Christ and the church. The husband as well to model his headship after Christ. Christ is the head of the church. And so we saw uh, last week the instruction given to the husband. Now the husband, first of all, we saw that he's called to love. Uh, sorry, he's, he's called first of all to lead his wife from verse 23. And then second of all, we saw last week that he's called to love his wife just as Christ loved the church. And so we saw the nature of that love that is required, that the nature of that love should be modeled after Christ. How has Christ loved his church? And we saw that Christ has loved his church unconditionally, first of all. Christ has loved his church wholeheartedly. Christ has loved his church in an unending way, in an, with an everlasting kind of love. And then we saw that Christ has loved his church with a tangible kind of love. And then secondly, we saw that the motive that is offered there, 
why should husbands love their wives? And we saw that, first of all, it's a command from God. This is a commandment given to husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And then secondly, another motivation, another reason why the husband should love their wife, we saw that it's because it is the example of Christ, that he is imitating Christ, the way that Christ has loved the church. And then last we saw that uh, it's it's a reflection of the union between husbands and the wives. We saw that we shall carry on this theme on the, on the issue of love with verse 26, 2 verse 26 and 27. And we saw that um, the husband is called really to love his wife more than he loves anyone else. More than he loves any other woman. The husband is to be intimate with his wife like, like with no other woman. So is Christ's love for the church. We saw that very clearly. That the husbands is to love their wife. And this kind of love is particular. It is exclusive. The husband can love no other woman in this world in the same way he loves his wife. And this kind of love is a covenant relationship. Because he is in covenant with her like no other woman. Is in intimate is is intimate with her like no other woman, and the church here is the object of Christ redeeming love, in the way that the world does not know. You love your wife in such a way that the world cannot understand how you love her. People can accuse you of what loving her too much, isn't it? But you know clearly, as a husband, you cannot love her too much. Why? Because you cannot love her in the same way Christ has loved the church, isn't it? Your love will always fall short. And so husbands must love their, 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 their wives uniquely. They must love them um, exclusively. They must love them particularly. We saw that this is, this is something that men struggle to do. Men struggle to do because, for the most part, men are not relational. Someone has said, a woman's relationship is face-to-face, -face, but a man's relationship is shoulder-to-shoulder. -shoulder. Men tend to look at things from their own standpoint. And one of the biggest problems you find in marriage is because the man will not, see the, will not seek to understand the wife. The man will not seek to see things from a point of view. But you see that the love of the husband is the key element here, is the thing that holds the marriage together. If the husband strives to love the wife, generally, the wife will not struggle to submit to her. It will come automatically. The Christian husband should love their wife in an exclusive way, they should be able to say like Job, I have made a covenant with my eye not to look at a woman with lust. We are to love them with an exclusive eye, an eye towards them. Our hearts should only belong to them and no one else. Husbands, this is a high calling because marriage is sacred in the eyes of God. It is exclusive by nature. Because, and God uh, sharply prohibits adultery. And so this 
um, morning. We continue from verse 26 to 27. And the sermon is titled, How Husbands Ought to Love Their Wives. How Husbands Ought to Love Their Wives. And we see here in verse 26 that they are to love them with a sanctifying love. Verse 26 says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This is a, kind, this is a sanctifying kind of love. And then secondly, verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And then secondly, we see that the husband, the way to love her wife is to love her with a preserving, beautifying love. Let's look at the first point. The husband should love his wife with a sanctifying love. There are two aspects of sanctification. Theologians have called the first one definitive sanctification. And the other is called progressive sanctification. Definitive sanctification happens when the Spirit of God comes to live in you at the point of salvation. When you're pulled out from the pit of the mary clay, the Bible says that you have been sanctified. You have been washed. The, the dominion of sin has been broken. And at that point, you have a new relationship with Christ. So that if someone is a true child of God, they cannot go on living. We've been put under the dominion of Jesus Christ and we're new people. The second kind of sanctification, the progressive kind of, uh, of sanctification, happens um, progressively. It's, it's a process of being conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. Every day departing from sin by means of the word. And he says there that the way the wife is to be loved in a sanctifying kind of love, the element, the instrumentality of her sanctification is what? Is the word of God. By the washing of water with the word. That the word of God exposes our sin, exposes our weaknesses, exposes our ignorance. That the word of God cleanses her. That's why we need constant exposure of the word of God in our homes. Because Christians do not grow automatically, isn't it? Christians grow through the instrumentality of God's word. And this is how Christ is sanctifying his church. How is he sanctifying his church? Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16. <clears throat> this is God using the same language of marriage. And he's calling the nation of Israel as the faithless bride. Verse 8 says, Ezekiel 16 verse 8, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age, of, at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you 
and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and showed you with fine leather. I wrapped you in a fine linen and covered you with silk. You see very here, clear here the picture of Jesus Christ washing the bride just as God did to the nation of Israel. That's what Jesus Christ comes to do. He comes to make us holy. He comes to cleanse his church from their sins. He comes to separate us from the old life. How? By the washing of water through the word. Jesus says in John chapter 15, this is after Judas had, had departed, he says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So there's a sense in which definitively you're clean. Talking about definitive sanctification, that you've been sanctified, you've been made holy already. But in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them in the truth, your word is true. That the church is, being, is in the process of being cleansed, being conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ loved us the way we are, but he loved us too much not to leave us the way that we are. And this sanctifying love is shown, should be shown in the context of the marriage. If the husband loves the wife, she should love her too much not to leave her the way she is, isn't it? Let me also say that it's not the husband who sanctifies the wife. The, the husband is the instrument, isn't it? it? It is through his means that the wife becomes sanctified. He's a medium. Kent Hughes says, <clears throat> Is my wife more like Christ because she's married to me? Or does she look like Christ despite of me? Has she, has she shrunk from the likeness of Christ because of me? Do I sanctify her or do I hold her back? And so the husband is to be used for the sanctification of the wife because he is the spiritual leader in the home. And Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father, does not let the church go its own way, isn't it? Jesus Christ does not let the church do its own thing. He is active in the midst of that assembly as the great priest, as the great prophet, as the great king. And so husbands, in order for you to love your wife with a sanctifying love, you must be spiritual leader of your home. And you must exercise the role of the prophet, the role of the priest, the role of the king in your own home. You are to be the prophet in the home in the sense that you lead and instruct the word of God at home. And it's shameful when husbands abdicate their responsibilities as prophets in the home. And they leave all family worship, all family devotion to be done by the wife. Even if your wife is more knowledgeable than you in scriptures, that's not an excuse. Husbands are to fulfill their spiritual leadership in their homes as prophets. They should teach the word of God. As priests, 
they should intercede on behalf of their wives. Because the priest is the one who initiates reconciliation and forgiveness. And so the husband is to pray for the wife in such a way that 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 he intercedes for her in such a way that she's seeking to present this wife to God in a way that she is spotless. She's without wrinkle. Intercession is the role of the priest, so as forgiveness and reconciliation. Husbands, you are to initiate reconciliation. When there's a difference between you and, the, and, the, and your wife, you are to be the priest. Initiate reconciliation, initiate forgiveness when there's conflict. Because it is unchristlike when husband and wife disagree and the husband does not seek to restore that relationship. It's, it's unchristlike, isn't it? Because we see very clearly that it was Christ who came. We have sung that from heaven he came to sort her, isn't it? A people to be his bride, the same way the husband should seek his wife, should show the same example. Husbands, you must be kings in your homes. And this is not um, analogous to the kings of this world. This is analogous to the kingship of Jesus Christ, which is characterized by humility kindness and protection husbands you want to lead your wives in a sanctifying love you want to lead your family devotions you want to pray for the sanctification of your wife that she will be filled with all the fullness of God that Jesus Christ will be rooted in her pray big sanctifying prayers to her for her because the most prioritizing thing you want is her sanctification. That she becomes more and more like Christ. Husbands should look to Christ as an example. Jesus Christ washes the feet of his disciples. And the symbol there is a symbol of, of sanctifying them. That even though you're the leader, you're willing to humble yourself and serve her in the leadership role. The husband is to do so, is to be the leader at home in a lovingly instructing way, making intercession for her, teaching her, loving her, instructing her, living out the truth in front of her. And sadly, we live in a day when many homes in this country, the spiritual leadership has been left on women, and that is wrong. The husband is the one to lead. The husband is the one to love. And to lead in gentleness and to love with kindness. And so the husband is called to be a gentle shepherd to her wife. Secondly, verse 27, the husband is called to love his wife in a preserving, beautifying love. In a preserving, beautifying love. He says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. The language there, as you see, is eschatological. 
it's about the future she, that that he might present her the church to himself in splendor and so the idea here is not right now but it's looking to the future when the marriage supper of the lamb takes place which will consummate the eternal union between Christ and the church and so because it is future it requires a certain kind of love for us to reach there we need a preserving kind of love Jesus Christ has loved the church in the past he continues to show his love in the present through the work of sanctification and that he will show his love to the church in the future through the process of glorification and so Christ's intention is to bring us to a place of sinless perfection that we might enjoy perfect happiness and joy so that the people of God are without spots and wrinkles that the remaining sin the the, the the, the temptations that they struggle is removed and the day is coming indeed brethren when we will be perfectly cleansed from all our sins and this is the intention of Jesus Christ for the church and it should be the same with the husband and the wife that the husband should see to it that this wife that God has entrusted them to as he leads her he must seek to sanctify her in this way so that on the day that he stands before Christ he is responsible indeed he is responsible for her soul isn't it when when Christians are in courtship and um, they are engaged they do not live with one another isn't it they are waiting for that day when the wedding will happen and the two of them shall become one that's the same case with Christ and the church we are still in that engagement period we are in the period when we are still engaged with Jesus Christ and there's a coming day the marriage supper of the lamb when we shall be united with our when Christ Jesus will be united with his holy bride what is the bride doing during the engagement before marriage during courtship what is the bride doing is preparing for marriage isn't it she's making herself more holy more godly the same case the church is as we meet we are making ourselves ready for that day we are being sanctified through the instrumentality of his god's word and we see that christ will cleanse us he'll remove every last wrinkle and blemish on that day that we shall stand before him that jesus christ will make us perfectly ready to meet him he'll make sure that there's no deformation there's, there's no remaining sin that there's nothing that will hold us back from that union positively it will ensure that we are holy and without blemish that we will be perfect in our conduct and we'll do this when he presents us to himself and we will be perfect with him
in Ezekiel 36 verse uh, sorry Ezekiel 16 verse 10 uh, the passage that uh, we read earlier it says God says I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and showed you with fine leather I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk and I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrist and a chain on your neck verse 12 and I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head obviously that's not a justification for uh, people to pierce their noses and they says verse 13 thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth you ate fine flour and honey and oil you grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty and your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty for it was perfect through the splendor that i had bestowed on you declares the lord god indeed um, the husband is to love the wife in this way in a preserving beautifying way this kind of love preserves the bride isn't it it preserves the bride that the church can know that the work that God began in us, he will bring it to completion. This is a kind of love that works in our heart, that we do not fall away. It's the kind of love that secures us, that keeps us safe. The kind of love that comes to us and works in us so that we do not wander away. It continuously draws us. And God is telling the nation of Israel, look at all that I've done to you. Look at all the ornaments. I've crowned you with gold and silver. It's the kind of love that preserves as we await on that beautiful day. That day when we shall see our Savior face to face. And husbands, if you're to love your wife just as Christ loved the church, you must be willing to love her in a preserving, beautifying way. That means that you love her with a steady, enduring love. A love that will transform her. A love that will remove all the insecurities in her. A love that will stabilize her. A love that is unconditional. Because she's a sinner. Anyone that you'll get married to is a sinner. There's, there's, no, there's no one in this world who's not a sinner, isn't it? But uh, a love that will seek to sanctify her, that will make her beautiful and attractive. Because you're loving her, whether she's beautiful, or whether she does right or wrong, isn't it? It's a kind of love that undergirds all that. It should be steady through thick and thin. This kind of love does not mean that you manipulate her or stifle her. It means that you love her in a way that transforms her. That the wife is becoming more and more what she will be on that day when Jesus Christ returns. It's a kind of love that is not ashamed to say, I love you. It's not ashamed to let her know that you love her. 
and what a lovely kind of love isn't it the wife in the twilight years she becomes more beautiful and attractive because she has become more and more like Christ and so love her in such a way that she is preserved and beautified increasingly becoming like her savior men what an incredibly high calling what a daunting task we have to love your wife as Christ loved the church you know there's no secret to all this it takes prayer it takes self control it takes hard work it takes humility it takes dying to self it takes the grace of god and the secret is to stay close to the cross to breathe the gospel every day to soak yourself in the love of christ to draw near to your savior again and again and as husband draws near to his savior more and more he's better equipped to be a conduit because this kind of love does not originate from us it comes from Christ and the husband should frequent his bible should kneel and pray for his wife every day only then can he have this enlarged affection towards her because he sees how Christ has loved him men should always strive to stay close to the cross breathe gospel air soak yourself in the scriptures even though this kind of love um <clears throat> is unconditional this kind of love does not regard unrighteousness the bible says love believes all things hopes all things endures all things even though love does all those things it does not disregard unrighteousness and so a peaceable marriage is not one that does not have confrontation the husband ought to admonish the wife when she's struggling with sin but to do so in a gentle way isn't it in a way that he seeks to present her holy and blameless the same way that Christ has loved the church Christ has loved the church in spite of its sin in spite of all our unrighteousness obviously spotlessness and blemish there or spot or wrinkle will not happen on this side of glory this work will never be perfected isn't it that's why In the marriage vows you vow to do what to love till death do you part isn't it because there's never be a day when you'll perfect her it's only death that will that will do you part and when she goes to glory she becomes perfect or you go to glory you become perfect and brethren this is a beautiful portrayal of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God in eternity past set his love upon us and he demonstrated that love by giving himself to us a definite atonement for those that he loved. As he gave himself for us that that he sanctified the same people 
by washing them as they hear the gospel. And as, as you hear the gospel, as you read the scriptures every day, you're being sanctified so that you bear fruit and you, be, you become more conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. And after we are cleansed and washed as Christ, then we are presented. We are presented holy and blameless because that righteousness is not based on us. It is based on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ looks to church. To to, uh, uh, churches should look to Christ as the head of the church and the bridegroom. And Christ Jesus has not come to exercise brutal dictatorship, but to serve the bride. In the same case, husbands should take initiative to lovingly serve their wife. Let us pray. Lord, our God, what an insurmountable task. A high calling indeed, but a noble one to all husbands. That they are to love their wives, just as Christ loved the church. Indeed, Lord, the bar is too high. We cannot attain it. Indeed, Lord, we do not give up because you are our help. You're the one from whom we draw all our grace. And we pray indeed that uh, this glorious picture may be magnified in this church. That the wife may be loved with a sanctifying love. A love that is secured. A love that is steady. That she may know she's loved. The same way that the church knows that it has been loved by Christ. Pray that husbands, we may be able to lay down our lives for our wives. And that you may strengthen us as well, Lord. For we know that uh, we are sinners. We have remaining sin in us. Do strengthen us and help that uh, we bring glory and praise to your name in all things. This we pray in Jesus' name.